Well, open your Bible with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to jump right into the series that we have been preaching. This is um, part six of a series called Get Wisdom, and tonight we're going to talk about walking in the counsel of the godly, walking in the counsel of the godly, and, and we know that, well, if we go to Proverbs 4, we can begin there, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I am giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Did you know that the power of life is in the command of God? There are only two laws in the earth today, and that is the law of life and the law of death. And within those two laws, everything that you do, everything you say, every action you take is either pulling towards the law of life or the law of death. There is no middle area, there's no gray middle ground that isn't life nor death. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking about words, he even made sure to bring the point out. He said, look, you can speak out empty words... They're they're vain, pointless words. They carry no purpose. But even those we'll be held accountable for. So we have to look at this and go, okay, my heart's going to hold on to your word because if I keep your commands, there's life in those commands. You know, the word says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. So since you've been set free from it, don't go back and try to climb back into it. All right, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her. And she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. Does this not describe Solomon, who we know is the wisest man? I mean, there was favor with him. There was everything he did was with excellence. And we're going to look at some of that tonight. But we know that here it specifies that we are to get wisdom. And get wisdom implies that there's more wisdom to be gotten than what we currently have taken a hold of. So we have to get it. We have to appropriate it. Do you understand what appropriate means? It's, it's what Adrian did to my shoes. Right? I tell him one time he can wear this really good expensive pair of shoes to work because it's cold. And the next thing I know, they're worn out. Why? Because he's been wearing them every day. See, he appropriated something and made it his own, right? And that's fine. I, I told him he could. And, uh, <laughs> but that's what we need to do with wisdom. Appropriate it. Take a hold of it. Take it as yours. You know, when Jen calls and says, hey, the meal's ready and we come sit down at the table and, you know, we thank the Lord for the food. Nobody is sitting there going, well, who's going to put food on my plate? No, we just take it. We grab it, get us some, pass it on. We help ourselves. We take it. Why? Because it's been given to us. Well, the wisdom of God being Jesus was made wisdom for us. And He was given to us. So it's available to us. If we don't walk in the wisdom of God in our life, in our business, in our relationships, in the things that we do, it's no one's fault but our own. 
Because it's been made available to us. It's there for us. Reach out and take it. We looked at um, a little bit of the difference, and I'll just mention it again, between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Because these three things are often mentioned right after each other throughout the Proverbs. He talks about knowledge, he talks about understanding, and he talks about wisdom. Well, knowledge is what you know. How many know that you can know something but not understand it? You can know how a two-stroke engine, that it works and it makes sounds, but you don't necessarily understand how it works or makes sounds. <laughs> Let's say it a different way. Um, so knowledge is something you know. Understanding is insight into what you know. Okay? Wisdom is using that knowledge and in insight, that knowledge and understanding, skillfully. Skillfully. You know, when I was a boy, I think I was on my first plane ride when I was three years old. We flew out to Montana. Um, it, this is, what, a year and a half after my father had been killed. And so we, or maybe two years, anyhow, we get on a plane, we fly to Montana to go see my grandparents. And I remember being on this plane, and I just couldn't figure out how this plane could fly. But I experienced it, right? I knew that it could. I had knowledge. I knew this plane could fly. Well, a year or two later, we're back on another plane, and then I was on several more planes. And I took a real keen interest in, look, at how, did, how does this plane fly? I'd watch the big airplane go down the road and then take off in the air like it didn't weigh anything. How is that possible? Now, the, my, the knowledge I had said airplanes fly, and I believed it, else I wouldn't have wanted to get onto it, right? So I had the knowledge an airplane flew. I just had zero understanding of how. How can all that weight be lifted off the ground? And with some maturity and looking at the subject when I was in school, I began to understand lift. See, understanding begins to come. Now I understand what it takes for the airplane to be able to get off of the ground. And that there are things in motion and laws in effect and, and you know, there's lift and there's drag and all these different things that it takes for an airplane to lift up off of the ground. But even knowing all of that, and now I have knowledge and understanding, I do not have the wisdom to build an airplane and a wing with exactly the right shape and contour to be able to do it. Or at least I'll put it this way. I could build one, but I ain't flying in it. <laughs> so I have knowledge, I have some understanding, but I don't have any wisdom on it, right? Now someone had to get some wisdom to be able to build that first plane and go, hey, it is possible. So knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. See, godly wisdom, that, that we want to specify that because there's other kinds of wisdom Godly wisdom is the divine skill on how and when to use knowledge, how and when to use the understanding that you have. In fact, Ecclesiastes 8.5 says, a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. The right time and place, we could say. That's what wisdom will do for you. We recognized and we learned as we looked at this subject. I'm just going through review here if you're with us for the first time tonight. Um, we've had five sermons already, and so in a nutshell, in a capsule, I'm just going to kind of catch you up to where what we, the things we've looked at and learned. But we looked in James chapter 3, verse 15, it says, it talks about four different sources of wisdom. And it, it says that kind of wisdom does not come from above. So there is a wisdom we can say that comes from above. It comes from God. We've looked at many scriptures on that. He goes on and he says, no, it is a worldly wisdom worldly wisdom. 
See, there is a wisdom that comes from the world. It's natural. It's earthly wisdom. It's not from God. And then he says self-centered and demonic. So we know there is a fleshly, self-centered wisdom that is available. Then your flesh can inspire you sometimes. And then there is a demonic, also divine wisdom, but is not of God. Not of God. I mean, the devil knows a lot. You understand that. And he's been around for a long time, and he knows how things work. He's seen how things work. He's seen again and again for thousands of years how people react to situations. And while he can't read your mind, and he cannot make you do something, he knows the odds, what the odds are. If I do this, they'll probably do this. Right? And so he operates in devilish wisdom, but thanks be to God that we have a wisdom that far exceeds any of that. We saw that wisdom is a spirit, a spirit being, and that it's made available to every believer. In fact, in Ephesians 1.17, Paul was praying. He said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom. And he went on in his prayer and he talked about a spirit of understanding, a spirit of revelation. So a spirit of wisdom is made available to us. In fact, put, um, put Isaiah 11 verses 2 and 3 up on the screen. And um, let's, per- let's say this together. Let's read it together. And, but let's personalize it. These scriptures are about Jesus. And, but we're going to make them and, and read them and declare them about ourselves and in faith. All right, verse 2. Let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on me, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. My delight will be in the fear of the Lord. I will not judge by what I see with my eyes. I will not execute justice by what I hear with my ears. See, this is what wisdom from God will do. And these things are what we sometimes refer to as the seven spirits of God. And whether they're all, you know, They're all of God, so they're all part of the Holy Spirit. How that all works, I don't know. Ask me in 150 years, and I'll tell you exactly how it works. We asked, and I've been answering the question, how do we get wisdom? So how do we get it? Well, number one, you have to hunger for it. You have to desire it. Okay? Number two, you have to ask for it. Ask, and you will receive. It's a promise. In James, that promise is given. Hey, if you need wisdom, ask. He gives it liberally and abundantly. We saw in Proverbs that wisdom cries out to us and that we're supposed to lift up our voice and cry out to it. And there's a calling back and forth that goes on. We saw that in order to get wisdom, we have to be teachable. And in being teachable, we looked at three vehicles by which wisdom will come to you. Now, there's more than three, but we looked at these these three in particular, the vehicle of instruction. Wisdom comes to you by instruction. Number two, wisdom comes to you by correction. And number three, this is many people's least favorite one, wisdom comes by rebuke. And in Proverbs, we read how the wise man loves the rebuke, at least godly rebuke, right? There is a wrong rebuke, and, but we're looking at Godly correction, godly rebuke. And rebuke is more than just, oh, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have done that. 
Oh, rebuke is sharp. Didn't seem to go over real well. Still true, whether you like it or not. Then we saw that we need to, in order to be wise, shut up. The scripture talks about sometimes we just have to put our hand over our mouth, right? And that it is by our mouth that we are delivered or our words lie in wait for us. So we have to watch our words, we have to guard our mouth. And then we also looked at and answered the question, why is wisdom supreme? You know, we read in Proverbs 4, it says wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Well, why is wisdom supreme? And when you look in Ephesians chapter 5, it says to be careful how you walk. Don't walk as the foolish do, but walk as the wise. And then it proceeds to tell us how to do that. Know what the will of God is. The wisdom of God is you knowing what God's will is for you in any given situation. And if you'll walk in God's will for that situation, that is you walking in His wisdom. Whether you feel particularly smart or not doesn't matter. But you walking in His will, well, absolutely, that is His wisdom. Because He knows so much more about it than, than you and I do. You know, we can't know enough to make the right decision many times. There's just too many variables. But He knows. He's a mathematician of all mathematicians, right? Alright, so now we want to go further into this and look at how wisdom comes through counsel and advice. So go with me over to Proverbs chapter 1 and let's look at verse 5 of Proverbs 1. And now, verse 5 is particularly said in reference to the book of Proverbs. But let's look at it. It says, let a wise person listen. So who's listening? And increase learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance or counsel, we could say. Let them obtain advice. A wise person does what? He obtains counsel. If you look at Proverbs 11.14, you'll see another scripture along these lines. It says, without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors there is deliverance. With many counselors, there is deliverance. Proverbs 20, verse 18. says, finalize plans with counsel. So how should you make your final plans? Counsel. With counsel. And he goes on and he says, wage war with sound guidance. Now saying sound guidance implies that there would be such a thing as unsound counsel. Unsound guidance. In fact, in chapter 12, in verse 5, it says the thoughts of the righteous are just, but guidance or counsel from the wicked is deceitful. It deceives you. It leads you astray. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end thereof is death. Well, that's a person who was deceived and had bad counsel. So not all counsel is created equal. And sometimes counsel is just straight up confusing. Right? You can ask five different people and get five different answers. You might be more confused to begin with. So one of the things to do is ask the Lord, who should I talk to about this? And He'll bring you to the right people that have the right counsel for you. Let's go over to 2 Samuel and let's look at some examples of good and bad counsel. 2 Samuel chapter 16. 
Actually, chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15. Um, no, let's start in 16. 16.23. Let's look there and then we'll back up to 15. So what is going on here is David had, had you know, the sins that he'd committed with Bathsheba, all of these things that had happened now with Absalom and, and Absalom's sister and Absalom's brother, and there was murder, there was rape, there was all kinds of things that happened following that. Well, now we've reached the point where Absalom has turned the hearts of many of the people against King David, and King David has received word that, um, hey, they're coming for us. And so him and his people, they flee Jerusalem, and they're on the run. And in 1623, it says this, it says, um, now, there was a guy named uh, Ahithophel, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, I know that's not the, the Hebrew pronunciation, but it's the English one, I think. Now, the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. So this guy here, he's, he's like one of the wisest guys they know. It's like just getting a message directly from God. I mean, when he says something, it works. It's right. Okay? So this guy's held in high regard. Now go back to 15, chapter 15, and let's begin in verse 30. David's on the run. Verse 30, David was climbing the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he ascended. His head was covered and he was walking barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they ascended. Doesn't it sound like an exactly a good time, does it? No, they are grieving, they're on the run, they're afraid, all of this is happening. Verse 31, then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Have you ever heard of the pile-up technique? That's when the devil comes and attacks you, not just from one thing, but then the second and the third and the fourth, and he's just piling it up on you, trying to overwhelm you. What He's experiencing some pile-up right here. I mean, things have just gone from bad to worse. Man, my trust... I mean, if they have Ahithophel, Ahithophel helping them, he's going to... I mean, how are we going to overcome that? Everyone knows that the advice he gives for war and all these things, man, it works. So what are we going to do? Someone reported that this guy is one of the conspirators with Absalom. And look at the man of God that David is. Lord, David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Yeah, but you don't understand. They have the best attorneys and they're coming at us. Lord, please turn their counsel. Yeah, but the prosecutor, he's like this horrible. Lord, please turn their counsel into foolishness. Every accusation that comes against you, you're supposed to do what? You condemn it. Right? You take authority over it. So he pleads with the Lord, turn his counsel into foolishness. When David came to the summit where he used to worship God, Hushai, the archite, was there to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go away with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and tell Absalom, I will be your servant, your majesty. Previously I was your father's servant, but now I will be your servant. Then you can counteract Ahithophel's counsel for me. 
Won't the priests Zadok and Abathar be there with you? See, earlier, if we would have read earlier, they, those two priests had fled. They had gotten the Ark of the Covenant and they had left with David. And then partway out through there, they stopped after um, they had gone a certain distance. And David said, you guys take that and go back. And um, maybe the Lord will allow us to come back as well. So the, the priests went back there and those two priests had sons that we're going to, we'll see them come into the picture here in a little bit. He says, uh, won't the priest Zadok and Abathar be there with you? Report everything you hear from the palace to the priest Zadok and Abathar. Take note, their two sons are there with them. Zadok's son Ahimaaz and Abathar's son Jonathan. Send them to tell me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's personal advisor, entered Jerusalem just as <clears throat> Absalom was entering the city. So here we see David's friend. He's going to go behind enemy lines and pretend to be one of the enemy. <clears throat> In chapter 16, we're just going to keep reading. Actually, no, let's go all the way down um, to verse 15. In, six, in chapter 16, verse 15. So that guy, um, Hushai, went back and now, now he is there in verse 15. Now Absalom and all the Israelites came to Jerusalem. Ahithophel was also with him. When David's friend Hushai, the archite, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Is this your loyalty to your friend? Absalom asked Hushai. Why didn't you go with your friend? He's not even calling him dad or the king. He's your friend. Not at all, Hushai answered Absalom. I am on the side of the one that the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen. I will stay with him. Furthermore, whom will I serve if not his son? As I served in your father's presence, I will also serve in yours. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give me your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel replied to Absalom, Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. When all Israel hears that you have become repulsive to your father, everyone with you will be encouraged. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Now the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. Now why would he tell him to do that? Because this is burning all the bridges and all the ships. You go sleep with your dad's wives and everyone will know that, oh, there's no going back. This is it. So now we have to choose a side. And it forces the people that had already chosen a side with Absalom, if they were wavering, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I guess there's no going back. We're with you. And so this was, does this seem like inspired wisdom? Yes, it is. It's devil-inspired. It's very inspired. Not godly-inspired, though, right? All right. All right, let's go to uh, 17, verse 1. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will set out in pursuit of David tonight. I will attack him while he is weary and discouraged, throw him into a panic, and all the people with him will scatter. I will strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. When everyone returns except the man you're looking for, all the people will be at peace. This proposal seemed right to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Summon Hushai the archite also. 
Let's hear what he has to say as well. So Hushai came to Absalom and Absalom told him, Ahithophel offered this proposal. Should we carry out this proposal? If not, what do you say? Hushai replied to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given this time is not good. Well, not good for David, right? Because David was discouraged and worn out and they're on the run and all these things. And exactly this other guy's advice inspired by the devil would certainly have, have played out that way, right? Well, here, Hushai's like, no, he's giving you bad advice this time. Hushai continued in verse 8, You know your father and his men. They are warriors. Remember the, David's mighty men? I mean, man, they took on entire armies, one or two people at a time. They went after lions in the caves. They killed giants. They did, I mean, you read about the exploits of David's mighty men. They aren't someone that you want to go tangle with, I assure you. Well, so Hushai is trying to convince him. He says, you know your father and his men. They are warriors and are desperate like a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Your father is an experienced soldier. He won't spend the night with the people. He's probably already hiding in one of the caves or some other place. And if some of our troops fall first, someone is sure to hear and say, there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even a brave man with the heart of a lion will lose heart because all Israel knows that your father and the valiant men with him are warriors. Instead, I advise that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand of the sea, be gathered to you, and that you personally go into battle. Then we will attack David wherever we find him, and we will descend on him like dew on the ground. Not even one will be left, neither he nor any of the men with him. If he retreats to some city, all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag its stones into the valley until not even a pebble can be found there. Since the Lord had decreed that Ahithophel's good advice be undermined in order to bring about Absalom's ruin, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than Ahithophel's advice. <laughs> Go gather all of Israel. Put out a draft. Gather all the soldiers. It's going to take a little bit of time, isn't it? Why would he do that? He's given David time. He's given David the time that he needs to... to Complete his escape and do what's necessary to get ready to come back. And so we see here in verse 15, Hushai then told the priests. So he gives them the advice. Absalom likes the advice. He told the priests Zadok and Abathar, this is what Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I advised. Now send someone quickly and tell David, don't spend the night at the wilderness ford, but be sure to cross over the Jordan, or the king and all the people with him will be devoured. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, they were those sons of the priests that were going to go take the news. They were staying at Enrogel, where a servant girl would come and pass along information to them. They, in turn, would go and inform King David, because they dared not be seen entering the city. However, a young man did see them and informed Absalom. So the two left quickly and came to the house of a man in Bahurim. He had a well in his courtyard and they climbed down into it. Then his wife took the cover and placed it over the mouth of the well and scattered grain on it so nobody would know anything. Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and asked, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? Oh, they passed by toward the water. <laughs> they did. They passed down toward the water. The woman replied to them. And the men searched but did not find them, so they returned to Jerusalem. 
After they had gone, Ahimehaz and Jonathan climbed out of the well and went and informed King David. And they told him, get up immediately, ford the river, for Ahithophel has given this advice against you. So David and all the people with him got up and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, there was no one who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown. He set his house in order and hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. He was smart enough to realize this other plan isn't going to work. My plan would have worked. This other one's going to be my ruin. I'm as good as dead already. And so he just went, got his will in order, got his paperwork in order, and took off early. The wisdom of God and divine inspired wisdom of the enemy are not on the same level. They're just not on the same level. The wisdom of God will surpass and supersede every time. Let's go to Exodus 18 and we'll see again an illustration of wisdom. Exodus 18 and verse 13. Now this is Moses. Moses has just brought all the people out of um, Egypt. It says there was 600,000 men plus women and children. So some estimate there was probably about 2.4 million people in the camp. And so Moses has led them out. And now in verse 13, uh, well, Moses' father-in-law comes and he hears about all the ways that God delivered him. So he, he offers some sacrifices and everything to the Lord. And then in verse 13, it says, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people. And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? I mean, from morning until evening, that's some long hours. Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. Well, is it good to teach statue and law? Yeah. Is it good to judge righteously? Yeah. But see, Moses is not operating in wisdom. Moses has the grace of God on him. Moses, he's led them into this great victorious place, but right now he's not operating in wisdom. See, don't be just looking to yourself as though you're the only source of wisdom. God will bring people to you to tell you things that you just haven't thought of yet. So, he says, what you're doing is not good. In verse 18, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice, counsel, and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to Him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times and they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. 
Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of hundreds, thousands, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times and they would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. Now notice here, if you take the amount of people that were there and you just take the men and you divide up between thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, Moses was trying to do the job of 85,000 leaders. That's how many people he had to put in place. If he was going to put them in place over tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. 85,000 people. Can one man do the job of 85,000 people? No. You're just going to wind up worn out and a bunch of people frustrated. Now, here's another thing to notice. This wisdom came from somebody else, and those men were already there with the group. He didn't have to go out and raise up a new generation. They were already, all these people that were capable, that were, what was the list? The um, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, men of integrity, and hating bribes or dishonest profit. And they were already all there. See, a lot of times what we need to succeed is already there. We just aren't recognizing it. And the Lord will send someone, often your spouse, if you're married, to, you to, to help you see, oh, here is where it is. Right? So ask God for His wisdom, and then don't be too persnickety about where it comes from. Right? I mean, I heard an illustration before about... You know, if a guy was in the desert and he is dying for lack of water, is he going to be real picky about the type of cup he drinks from? Well, I don't drink from blue cups. I don't drink from fat cups. I don't drink from cups that aren't from my church. I don't drink from unbelieving cups. Now hear me, sometimes the wisdom of God will come to you straight through an unbeliever. And the Lord will speak through them. Now, that's not the normal way it comes to you. Those are the exception. Where you're in a situation and the Lord speaks to you through an unlikely source. Normally, the wisdom of God is going to come to you by those that the Lord places over you. Or alongside of you. That's normally how the wisdom of God comes. You know, the wisdom of God comes to me many times through Jen. Sometimes the wisdom of God comes to me through Karen. Other times it comes through Apostle Dale. There's many things, many things that the wisdom of God has come to me and that we regularly exercise in my life. I'll give you one illustration. I remember when Dale taught me this. It was probably in 2009 or 10. And he said, you know, if you're right, act right. I've never forgotten that. If you're right, then act right too. Because a lot of times when you're not right, you don't act right. Right? See, that's just the wisdom of God on how to behave. One of the ways to judge it is by peace. When wisdom comes, you'll, you'll have that little jump on the inside. That peace on the inside. This is the Lord. I mean, I've, I've received words from the Lord through my children. I remember one time I was so down and out and blue in the gills. And um, Adrian, he was, I don't know, maybe six years old. And he comes running in from playing and runs right up to me and just delivered a word from the Lord to me. That was just like completely out of character and out of what he would normally say. And man, it ministered to my heart. But if I would have been like, well, 
He doesn't know. He's just, he's just a child. If I'd have been too picky about receiving, right, I, w- I would have completely missed the encouragement that he'd sent to me. Now, go over to Proverbs chapter 13, and we're going to shift gears a little bit. Still talking about the counsel of the godly, but there's also another side to it. Another part of it. Another piece of it. In Proverbs 13, and in verse 20, it says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's read that together. You can see it up on the screen. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. If you want to be stupid, walk with the stupid. If you want to be a golfer, walk with the golfers. If you want to be a hunter, hang out with hunters. I mean, it works this way. You move into a community and you pick up a bunch of new friends and they all have this one hobby. Guess what you're going to be doing soon? That hobby. Because it's one of the ways to go fellowship and hang out with them. doesn't matter who we hang with. The Passion Translation reads that verse this way. It says, if you want to grow in wisdom, spend time with the wise. Pretty simple. Walk with the wicked and you'll eventually become just like them. The Good News Bible, keep company with the wise and you will become wise. If you make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. See, who we fellowship with can make all the difference between you making it or not making it. Your friends are really important. Not because you're better than them, but because they have an influence on you. They will rub off on you. In fact, even in finances, not just spiritual things, but even natural things, just like we were talking about with, with hobbies, they'll rub off on you. It's been said that you can take your, I think, six closest friends, and if you would average up all of their income, that's what your income is. I find that kind of stuff fascinating. That you are, another, another way I read it was that you're kind of the sum total of your six closest friends. You know, their way of doing things and thinking and all of that. So that begins, you start looking around going, okay, who am I friends with? In 1 Corinthians it says it this way, it says don't be deceived. Why would he say that? Because this is a point of deception. Especially for young people, this is a point of deception. And he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts the good. And why does it work that way? Some people have used the argument, yeah, well, Jesus, he hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and all that. No, no, no. He went and ministered to them. He went to where they were, but they were not his traveling companions. They were not his apartment companions. They were not who he hung out with. All right? Those were his disciples. But he didn't go, oh, I'm too good for you. And no, he went and ministered to them, but they weren't his best friends. See, when you sit with negative people, it doesn't, and all they're talking is negativity and unbelief and doom and gloom, man, it doesn't take long and you can feel it in the atmosphere. You feel like you need a shower. Right? I mean, it's like right there. And, but the same thing happens when you hang around people who are full of faith and speak life. 
but you hang with them for a little bit and it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, remember when COVID started and the lockdowns happened and, and we decided, well, we're going to stay open. This is what the Lord's showing us to do and we're going to stay open. And we stood up and we, we talked faith and how we're going to overcome and we're going to, we're going to be kept from the destroyer. And, and some of you all were sitting here kind of timidly like, man, I don't know. I'm not too sure. Um, you know, you weren't real solid in what we should be doing. And as we came together and we allowed the environment of faith to flourish, you guys went out different. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to win this thing. See, faith is contagious, but in the same way, on the other side of it, all that negativity and doubt and unbelief, that stuff's contagious as well. And this is why it's so important who you're hanging out with. Or let me say it a different way. You know, who you fellowship with, if you fellowship with them enough, you're going to become like them. One of the ways we fellowship with things is by watching them on our television screen. The shows, the movies, the podcasts we listen to, the books we read. All of those things are inputs into our life, just like when we hang out with somebody. And I know I'm meddling right now, but <clears throat> another piece of wisdom that I learned from Apostle Dale was when you feel like you're walking on eggshells, make an omelet. <laughs> make an omelet. So here we go. Get the burners ready. What makes you think that you can watch all this despicable stuff on the screen and it not affect you? And you not become like it? If you look at something, behold something long enough, you will become it and do it and act it. It's why pornography is so damaging. People look at it and then next they want to go out and do it and, and take things further. And just like sin and the devil, nothing, you know, you can't satisfy the flesh. It always wants more. I mean, I remember when we first got married. We See, growing up, we weren't allowed to have movies, neither one of us, and we'd moved to another Mennonite church where it was in a gray area. Let's put it that way. So we have a newfound freedom. Man, we go out and we're just watching movies after movies after movies, and we can't watch. And I remember one day we watched, I don't know, maybe eight, nine movies, she says, until our eyes were shriveled up like raisins. And you know, your flesh, you just can't satisfy it. It wants more of whatever you're doing with that. But why do we think that we can watch things, listen to things, but it's not going to affect us? You know, we, we all readily admit that, yeah, when you read the Word, it will affect you. Oh, but this other stuff, no, I'm, I'm stronger than it. What kind of nonsense is this? Smell that? It's not bacon, it's eggs. <laughs> so, here's, a, here's something that you can do. Whatever you're watching, reading, listening to, ask yourself this. Do I want to be like that? And if the answer is yes, keep at it. Do I want to be like that? Now, any good story has got a good guy and a bad guy. So, who are you looking at in the story? Who do you want to be like? All right, you've got to use common sense on some of that. Second Chronicles 9, 
who are you hanging out with? You know, it says about Solomon that the whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. The whole world wanted to come. So I suppose he had to use some wisdom on who to say yes to. And in 2 Chronicles 9, we see someone that he said yes to. In verse 1, the Queen of Sheba. Now, I am curious as to why. I don't, was it this way for you guys? But for me, growing up, we always said the Queen of Sheba in a negative connotation, like it was a bad thing. Oh, she just thinks she's the Queen of Sheba. Well, reading the story, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> So I don't know, I don't know why, why it was said that way, but anyhow, so the Queen of Sheba, she heard of Solomon's fame, so she came to test Solomon with difficult questions at Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke with him about everything that was on her mind. Now, what did we read? If you want to be wise, walk with the wise. That the wise seek counsel of the godly. Well, this is what she's doing. You know, she's the queen. She already has it made. She doesn't have to be taking a long, hot, miserable trip through the desert. You know, they didn't have airplanes. They didn't have trains. They didn't have cars. They're riding on animals. Through the heat, no air conditioning. She, it, this took a great effort for her and at great expense to her to come to a place where she hears about this wisdom. And the truth is, she didn't believe it. She's like, nah, those stories can't be true. I'm going to see for myself. And so, in verse 2, so Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for Solomon to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed Solomon's wisdom and the palace, he had, I mean, as she, as she was with him, she observed some things, and it's going to list some things here. It's going to talk about how the food was served, the way the food was prepared, how the building was built, how they, the attendants came in and out, and how, the, how the, everything worked and flowed together. And she's just blown away by this, by the amount of excellence that is being exhibited here. I have a saying up on our laundry room door. It says, good enough isn't. Good enough isn't. I don't believe that that's something that Solomon would have ever do, done, right? So it was good enough. Especially not for the things of the Lord. But I mean, his palace wasn't for the Lord. That's for himself. And she looks at his palace, and then she goes, uh, when the Queen of Sheba observed Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the house he had built, like, whoa, who would have thought of that? I mean, have you ever been in a kitchen? And the way they laid it out and everything is like, man, someone was thinking. Right? You open up a cabinet, boy, it goes back into this. Oh, then you can pull things way out where it makes your life easy. I mean, there's just so many cool inventions out there. Well, she's looking at the things that he's got going on, and she's like, wow. In fact, she says the food at his table, you know, the way it was prepared, probably Chef Ramsay had nothing on them. His, his servants' residence... Even the servants' houses, his attendants' service and their attire, the way they attended him, the way they came in, his cup bearers, the way they served them, and the way they were dressed, their attire, and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. <laughs> That's pretty impressed. 
Like took her breath away. She is so touched by the wisdom on display in natural things. But see, a lot of times we think, oh, the wisdom of God is just a hokey, hokey spiritual thing. It doesn't actually flow out in the natural thing. But Solomon is, is proof that the wisdom of God will flow right into all those natural things. That the wisdom of God will lead you into wealth. The wisdom of God will lead you into favor. The wisdom of God will lead you into architecture and great food and all of these things, you know. Listen to what she says. She says to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe their reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half of your great wisdom. You far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are those servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on His throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel enough to establish them forever. He has set you over them as king to carry out justice and righteousness. And then she gave the king four and a half tons of gold. It says she came with a big entourage. She must have had a lot of camels. Four, and plus all the other things that she, precious stones, those are heavy. All those things that she gave. I mean, in today's money, that gold would have been worth $235,267,000 that she gave to him. Well, then if you would keep reading, it says Solomon gave her in return more than all of that. And if you keep reading, you see that Solomon's annual amount of gold that he brought in was... I think it was 24 tons. In today's money, it comes out to um, 1,307,038,000 that he was bringing in in gold. And it said, then it says, and that's before all the economic trade. That was just the gold. Do you think the wisdom of God had anything to do with this? Did Solomon desire and value wisdom? Yeah, he'd asked the Lord for it. He could have asked for, for gold. He could have asked for long life. He could have asked for victory over his enemies, but he didn't. Instead, he asked for wisdom and understanding. And then the Lord said, well, because you asked for that, I'm giving you this other stuff too. So who are you hanging out with? You hang out with the Solomons, you become like Solomon. Let's go over to Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4. This is the story of so Peter and John had healed the man at the gate beautiful. And you know how everyone, this whole crowd gathered and they got arrested and now it's the next day and they're in front of the court. And they ask him, were asking them some questions and in chapter 4 of verse 8, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed, listen to this, this is what I wanted you to hear. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were like, these guys have been with Jesus. That's obvious. Look at this. No one talks with wisdom like this unless you've been with Jesus. If people looked at you and I, would they see that we've been with Jesus? Or would they say that we've been with the latest popular show on Netflix? The eggs are almost ready. (laughs) Worship team, you can come up. They could see they had been with Jesus. The spirit of wisdom through Jesus is operating in Peter as he opens his mouth and begins to talk to them. Go over to Acts chapter 6. While you go there, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Moses. Remember Moses, he had committed a, a, a sin and he wasn't allowed to go into the land of Canaan. And so now it's time for the children of Israel to go into the land of Canaan. Moses is already 120 years old and he's just not quitting. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 34.9, it says Moses um, was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. So he was still a spring chicken at 120 years old. In fact, if you looked earlier, a couple chapters earlier, the Lord had to tell him, it's time to die, Moses, because he just wasn't going to quit. And so now he dies, and what we see next happen is it says Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Now, Joshua had hung out with Moses for a long time. All those 40 years in the wilderness and all the time before from Egypt until they were now at this time. And Moses had laid hands on him and had commissioned him. They had done this in the tabernacle before the Lord. And the spirit of wisdom that had been operating on Moses was transferred and was now operating in and through Joshua. What if Joshua wouldn't have been hanging out with Moses? You think that would have happened? Did it make a difference for a whole lot of people who Joshua hung out with? Yeah. Acts chapter 6, did you find it? So, the early church is now several years old and they are having some problems. In verse 1, in those days as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So they got some complaints. Hey, you guys aren't taking care of our widows over here enough. The twelve, these are the disciples, the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said... Or I guess I should say they were the apostles and they they brought everyone together. And they said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Notice that it specifies spirit and wisdom. Whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So did they exhibit wisdom in how they dealt with this? Here's how we'll deal with this problem. 
And so then it says the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Not just a little bit, greatly. The wisdom of God that had operated on them to address this problem now caused great increase to come. And did you know the same thing will happen in your family, in your business, in your whatever you're at, that the wisdom of God can, when you start to operate in that, suddenly the thing that was difficult becomes easy, the thing that was impossible becomes possible, and increase comes in. In verse 8, now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose. Well, isn't that just like the devil? We have a revival going on, we have breakthrough, we have victory, and now he attacks. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. Listen, but they were unable to stand up against his wisdom in the spirit by whom he was speaking. The spirit by whom he was speaking. The Spirit of God on the inside of you knows more than, than you can know on your own. We, we know that. We say we know that. But how often do we try to meet our problem in our own strength and in our own source? Instead of taking a moment and stopping and saying, Lord, how should I address this? How should I confront this? Which side should I come at it from? And so Stephen, with the wisdom of God in him and speaking by the Spirit, they couldn't answer him. So, you know the story, they decided, well, we'll just stone him. We'll stop it that way. And Stephen prayed at his death for those that were around him. And I believe that's what gave the Lord the right to shine a light from heaven and knock Saul down on the ground and get his attention. But again, even in that moment, rather than giving in to the fear and giving in to the pain and giving in to... I mean, have you ever been stoned? I don't mean in that way. I mean with rocks. You know, I'm sure it's painful. And where are they going to aim at? Your head. Right? And so, yet even in that, he demonstrated wisdom in how he prayed and what he prayed. And it bore fruit. So you and I with the little problems we have because we're not being stoned. In comparison, they're little. Some of you might have life and death problems. But with the wisdom of God, He can lead you into the law of life every time. Stand with me if you would. Father, we thank You for Your great faithfulness to us and thank you that you have made available to us through the person of Jesus wisdom in abundance and father we lay hold of it and we appropriate your wisdom tonight for our lives for our marriages for our health for strength we take a hold of your wisdom for our businesses for our jobs Lord for our financial realm any physical, natural realm, Lord, that we're, we are needing your wisdom, we just lay hold of it tonight. And I ask you, Lord, to awaken us. Send people to us where we're ignorant to the wisdom that's available to us. And give us all that we need to walk in a way that people look at us and go, they've been with Jesus. I thank you for this, Lord. We just believe that we receive it right now in Jesus' name. Here in a moment, we're going to take and the Lord's Supper together. And while, um, 
we're preparing that and you're, you're filing through and picking it up, what you can do is let's just start in the back row again, come up the center aisles, pick it up and go around back to your seat and hang on to it until all of us have it together and then we'll take it together. And while we are doing that, I want to talk about, um, there was a couple things I forgot to mention in the beginning. I knew there was something I was missing and I couldn't place it, but now I remember and um, so one of those is we're going we're gonna to take a moment and we're going to pray for uh, the work that the Mirabellas are doing. Right now, um, Gene English and some of the Five Stones guys, Shane Manny and others, are over there with them. In fact, he sent me a picture earlier today. He's there in their house. So, um, so they're there with them, encouraging them, helping them, giving them some medical training and other things. And um, so we're going to pray for them. And then also, the Mirabellas sent their love back to you and wanted me to thank you guys for the amazing support that you guys have been to them and the work that they're doing. And then also Larry wanted me to tell you guys thank you for your prayers and your support. It means so much to him. I know that he was very encouraged by our trip there from some conversations that he and I had. So um, it, was, it was a very good time. But let's just take a moment and pray over these things. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you see everything and that you know everything and, and nothing catches you by surprise. And so, Lord, we just lift up the Mirabellas and MFI to you and all the work that they're doing in all the different places. Lord, the commitments that they've made, we thank you for, for the finances to be able to accomplish all of it. Lord, we ask you to bring partners to them in a way that would enable them to do everything you've put in their heart. You gave them a word this summer, Lord. You told them to think bigger, to think much bigger. And Father, you've brought the bigger to them. So now we look to you to provide in every way, to provide the people, to provide the finances, to provide the vehicles and all that's required. We bless you for it. Lord, we lift up Larry and the work in, in Turkey. Father, I ask you to, to bring strength and encouragement to each one that's there. Father, give them your heart and vision for what you want to do in all the land. I thank you that you meet their needs and that you are their provider in every way. In Jesus' name, I thank you too, Lord, for for Gene and for uh, Five Stones, for Shane, for all those, I ask for your protection to be over them. Bring them back again safely after they have successfully completed all that you've put in their heart to do. In Jesus' name, and amen. Okay, you can file up, and let's start in the back. And while you're doing that, I'm going to talk to you. The Lord has been working something in my heart over the last couple of weeks, but in particular in the last week. And, you know, it doesn't do any good to run a race but not finish it. You can be the fastest runner, the best, most athletic runner on the course, but if you don't finish the race, it was all pointless. And so I want to encourage you to finish well. Let's finish the race, especially if you're 50 years old or older in here, finish well. Don't become discouraged in, in well-doing. Don't, don't give up, but say, I, let, I'm going to finish this thing better than I started it. In Hebrews 12 in verse 1, therefore, since we also have such a large 
cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. It doesn't say with swiftness. Endurance. you got to be in it for the long haul. To go all the way to the finish line. You know, if you're running a race, and you're leading the pack, and you're out front, and you're doing well, and then you look up into the stands, and you see some guy up there saying a bunch of things about you that aren't true. And if you run up into the stands and have an argument with the guy, you may win the argument, but you lose the race. Because you got distracted. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes, your focus on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He is the starter, and He's the author, and then He's also the finisher. By finishing, think finish contractor. Guy comes into the house, is the last guy there, finishes things. He's also the finisher of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. You know, if He could do it, if He could put His eyes on the future, on what was to come, and He could finish well. You know, if Jesus would have, He ran His race well, but if He would have stopped at the Garden of Gethsemane and said, I ain't doing this, it would, it would have been all to no purpose. But He didn't. He finished well. So let's you and I finish well. When we take the, the bread and the cup tonight, let's take it with new commitment to finish well. That Lord, I'm going with you the whole way. That those little gray areas in the corners of my heart that I've been ignoring, we sweep it all out. We start over new tonight. We're going to finish well and go the whole way. You know, the, the cup, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that means you stand before God as pleasing to Him as Jesus Himself. Right. Just completely right. And the bread that's broken for us, for our healing, for our life. If you need healing in your soulish realm, if you need healing in your physical realm, take the bread and break it and go, I'm going to finish well because He's my healer. Take the cup and drink it. Thank you, Paul. And say, I'm going to go all the way and run well and finish all He's given me to do because He enables me. We're not left on our own strength to do it, but we do it with Him. Father, we thank You for Your body. We thank You for the bread. Lord, we thank You for the bread of life. Lord, that Your life works in us in miraculous ways even tonight. That our physical bodies are healed and restored tonight. Lord, that we are restored to run this race fully and completely with You. And Lord, I thank You for healing in our body, healing in our soulish realm, any place that needs healing, Lord, that You just right now touch us and heal us. And let's take it and eat it. Father, I thank You for Your healing power working in us. 
And we just call every person here healed in the name of Jesus. And those that are not here but would like to be here because they can't be, we call them healed in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you. We lift Jim Wolf up to you right now. Lord, I ask you to quicken his body, to bring restoration back into every blood vessel, into every cell, bring strength into his body. Every cell in his body submit to this finished work on the cross. In Jesus' name, be healed. I thank you for it. Lord, I also thank you that you provide for them in all the supernatural ways that they need. Strength and endurance to finish well. Lord, I thank you for your blood. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to give your blood and to shed your blood, that you were willing to take the penalty upon yourself and give us your inheritance. Father, we're really grateful for you sending Jesus to do that, that you had the love for us, that you had the foresight to be able to do that and to accomplish it, and we bless you for it. And we just stand in your righteousness. We declare our identity is in you and you alone. And let's take it and drink it. Thank you for restoration, Lord. I thank you for strength, Lord, to run the race, to finish well. Give us the vision that we need. Lord, I thank you, too, that you just arrest us. Arrest us when we get our focus off onto something else and we're not looking to you as the author and the finisher. Lord, bring to our attention when we become distracted and we commit to running with you the whole way focused on you. We bless you, Lord. Let's just do that. Bless him. Tell him how good he is. Exalt him. Thank him. Oh, thank you, Lord. We just thank you for your goodness to us. Someone say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, he's been very faithful to us in so many ways. He has given us the best people. People that are able to step in and fill in when others leave. Thank you to the different ones that filled in for our, on our worship team while John was away. It's good to have John back. I wanted John to share with us just a little bit and give us an update. He was um, for a whole week plus of meetings with prophet bob out in colorado at our sister church so tell us a little bit about what you did how it went so bob and i took a long drive like took a few days changing we got there and bob threw gasoline on the fire <laughs> that's what he does <laughs> that's he? what he does and he did so uh we just had a great time it's exciting to to go out there to our sister church or brother church whatever you want to call it but uh they're very much a part of us, just like we're a part of them. And uh, Jay and Kim are so excited about what's taking place. And they have a bunch of youth there that are on fire for God. And, and not just the youth, but the older people too. But uh, it was a really good time. We enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not sure everybody understood when I was up ministering on the piano. Sometimes they gave me looks like, why are you playing while Bob's talking? But I think they got used to it after a while. The other pastor there, Ron, he, uh, first couple days, he was like, giving me the eye, but after that, he, like the third day or whatever, he's like, John, so good to see you. So I guess I wore him down after a period of time, but, uh, but we had a great time. And so there is another church that rents their building that they own, and um, isn't that good to hear? We have a sister church, they own their building, 
And so there's another church that rents it and has, has service in it Sunday morning because they also meet Saturday night. And so whenever they have special meetings, a lot of times the two churches will come together and combine services, have services, or they just attend each other's services. And so that's the other pastor he's talking about. And they did that, and it was great to have them part also. And uh, they filled the place up, and so it was a really good time. Really enjoyed it, and then we cruised all the way back. We were lucky. People were saying, well, why are you driving? And when we got out there, we found out that all the airlines canceled, so we were glad we drive because yeah. we could drive yeah. home. So, <laughs> so it was a good thing. Uh, plus, we just had fun riding together. We just carried on, had a great time. So Bob is an amazing guy, and uh, just great to sit with him and spend a lot of time with him. And then Jay and Kim and their family, they took us into their home, and they're wonderful people. And, uh, so if we ever get a chance to go out, I recommend it. They're it's a good work going on there. Yeah, amen. And from the first time that you came out with Apostle Dale in April of 2009. Yeah, you're the past. It has changed quite radically, hasn't it? Yes. Praise the Lord. Dale, you were out there not long ago, right? And um, from you, you, you know the differences that have come. And Hallelujah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> All right, well, be blessed as you go. Love on each other. One way that we love God is how? Loving one another. And it's more than just in word, but in deed. There's a time of fellowship downstairs that you're invited to. that you're here tonight at Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Are you glad you're here? Are you glad your pastor's back? Amen. <laughs> we are so glad. Praise the Lord. Well, I'd like to encourage you tonight in our time together, which is really a worship experience from beginning to end in the fellowship of the believers around the Word of God, with the Spirit of God moving, the living God present. This is a worship experience, so welcome. Glad you came. And I'm going to read from Psalms 89. The whole book of Psalms is so rich with so much praise and thankfulness and, and worship to the Lord. 89 is no different. It says, and the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. That's us. For who in the heaven can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of, our thro of your throne, Lord. 
Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. Jesus Christ, the glory of our strength. Well, let's stand together as the family of God. And let's give him a sacrifice of praise. Let's give him our heart tonight and thank thankfulness, a grateful, grateful heart for who and what he is. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, the priceless, matchless, eternal name of our Lord and Savior, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, our healer, our deliverer, our Prince of Peace. He's our Redeemer. He's our everything. Jesus, Lord, the living God. Amen. Well, let's just lift our hands tonight and give him all the glory, all the praise. The Lamb who sits upon the throne. All honor and glory and power be to you who sits on the throne. Our soon coming King. Jesus. 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 We'll turn to your neighbor tonight and say the matchless name of Jesus. He's in my heart. Is he in yours? And thank him for coming tonight in the fellowship of the believers. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? You glad to be here tonight? Glad to have Pastor back. Glad to have John back. Anyone else that's been gone? We're glad to see everybody. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithes to the Lord, so if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will get one to you. Also, we would like to welcome any guests that we have with us. If you're here for the very first time, could you raise your hand, and we'd like to give you a little clap and make sure you know you're appreciated. In the back there, welcome. I'm, we're glad that you're here. We hope you are too. All right. Um, if you're giving by credit card, do fill out all of the blanks. So, you know, tithing, it's a test of trust, is it not? You know, when God promised that he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing until there's no more need, do you believe that? Yes? He also promised to rebuke the devourer for the sake of the tither and that we would be, that all nations would call us blessed. Do you believe it? That's right. Well, see, we act on what we believe. So your trust is being tested. Do I believe it? Do I believe what God said he'll do? So every time you write out that tithe check, every time you do that regularly, every time you set that aside, it's a reminder that God's my source. God is the provider. And that my trust is in him to provide and to bring in the increase. Um, I'm going to read out of Psalms. 115. As you know, he is the only one that is completely trustworthy. The only one that is completely reliable. Psalms 115 verse 9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. 
He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, Church of the Word International. That's us. You fear the Lord, right? You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help. He's our help and their shield. He is our shield. The Lord has remembered us. You know, some translations bring out that he's mindful of us. Lord's thinking about you. You fear the Lord. Uh, he, it, he is mindful of us. He's thinking about us. He says he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, the tithing is one of those laws of increase that God has set up that if you'll participate with, he can get blessing and increase across to you. And I think we see that here. That's his heart. He wants you increased. He wants you blessed. So we're excited and cheerful to tithe. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are trustworthy, that what you say you will do, you will do it. And so we thank you for the tithe covenant. We thank you for your promises in the word about blessing and provision and rebuking the devourer for us. We thank you, Lord, that your heart is to bless us and to bring us increase. And so I call us a blessed people. And every need that there may be in this house, Lord, I thank you. You're bringing the provision and the answer speedily. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. And amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give them to the Lord. So tomorrow night, we have the Young Family Life barn party that's going to be at the Balmer's place. That's tomorrow night, 4 to 8. Dress warm. It's probably going to be, we're going to be outside. And so uh, men's group, November 10th, is coming up. You can sign up in the back lobby for that. Um, Schumann's. The Schumann's home, we have the Youth and Young Adult Impact Campfire and Cookout coming up on October 29th. Um, I'm sure you'll be getting notices and, and announcements if you're part of that group about what to bring. And also the Pumpkin Pie Fundraiser sign-up sheet is in the back. If you want to help support Children's Rescue Initiative, um, Shane and Nicole Berger are doing a, a fundraiser and they're selling pies, so that sign-up sheet is in the back. So, Troy, could you come up here? We would like to just bring um, mention of the Ghana Initiative construction trip that Troy's putting together, and we just want to give him opportunity to tell us a little bit about that and more information. Thank you. Did you notice it was make mention because I talk too much? But anyway, no, not real. I don't, th I don't think you meant that at all. So anyhow, I wasn't up here last Sunday. I was down with the children, and I didn't have an opportunity to hear the message. But I did hear that a part of the message was that you don't need to pray to go on a mission trip. Am I correct? That's exactly what you said. Yeah, you don't need to pray. You just need to know in your heart that that's something that the Lord wants you to do. Right? In fact, it's a commandment that you're supposed to go into all the world. It says 
in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that has believed in and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Do you want to be responsible for those people who don't believe, who don't know, for them to be damned? Well, if the Lord's telling you to go on a mission trip, here you go. I have one for you. So the Ghana Initiative is going to be doing a mission trip. It's a building trip, uh, but it's also going to be an evangelistic trip. So you're not just going over to build a building, but you're also going over to evangelize, to spread the gospel to those people who really and truly need to hear. If you're interested, I will be staying up here after the service. Please meet with me somewhere back over in this area. You can find me. You'll see me. I'll be, I'll be sitting there. And I will be giving you papers like this. The trip is in February, beginning of February, for a week and a half to two weeks. Um, you can actually make it fit to your schedule as you see fit and, and need. So if it's too long and you want to come home early, you can't do that while you're there, but beforehand, let us know, and we can, we can plan that. Um, and, and if you're a lady and you say, but what can I do on a building trip? Well, let me tell you this. Over there, the Ghanaian women don't just stand around when there's a building being built. They actually get their hands dirty, and they mix the cement, and they carry the bricks, and they carry the cement blocks on their heads. Now, I'm not asking you to do that. No. <laughs> I'm not asking you to do that, but, but, but if you do want to go and you do want to be a part of this, there's something for every person to do, and no, you don't have to mix any cement, you don't have to carry any bricks, but you could do all kinds of other things as well. So please see me if you're interested. Thank you. Well, good evening. So good to be with you again, and to be home with you, and there's no place like home, you know? And uh, while... Going into all the world is, is definitely a commandment, and we want to be fulfilling in it. I'm sure glad there's a go involved. It means I don't have to stay. I get to come home. And um, hallelujah. Um, Elizabeth and Janelle, I don't know if they're in here, but they were um, great traveling companions, and they had a wonderful time. You'll have to ask them about their trip and how they... Uh, what they thought of the different places they were in and if they planned to go back and all of those good things. We, with the support that we give the Mirabellas, they're doing a work there already. And they're regularly going into the country and there are several very large refugee camps there that they have committed to helping and supplying some things for. And one of the commitments that they made was to provide them with a certain amount of kerosene for their winter heat in their tents. And so... This has opened up tremendous doors to them to be able to share the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. But with that comes a price, right? With the commitments that they've made. So they're believing God for $170,000 by like February, I think. And so let's believe with them. I know that I'm looking at a house full of people that know how to believe God. And uh, let's believe with them for the funds to be able to do that. And the reason that the flag is here is um, some time ago, a couple months ago, I don't know if Eric is in here with us, but he had been uh, with them. And so whenever one of us goes to a new country that the flag is not up on the wall, we, bring the, we get the flag and we put it up on the wall. And so that is why we got the flag is because of Eric being there as well as the work that you're a part of through the Mirabellas in the nation I believe that some of the things the Lord is going to do in that Middle East region 
Um, all of those countries through there are just ripe, ripe. The harvest is ripe. So do be praying for their work there. Thank you for filling the pulpit for me. It's always, always a comfort to know that you're left in good hands. That the word is going to be rich and rightly divided. Amen.